blew my wife's mind opening that clamshell and showing her this tiny little SD card. <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. We could go and see Mr. Lincoln, or we could watch on television Big Mama's House. It's about a little black man pretending to be a fat black lady. They've just showed some of it on the television. And they're all chasing after him. <laughs> it looked hilarious, Martin. Hello, everybody. Look at that fidget spinner Aaron is holding up that you can't see if you're listening only. Uh, this is Recotopia episode 78, and I am Jeremy Scott. And I'm Aaron Dicer. Today's big recommend is Philomena. I'd like mm -hmm. to give a shout out to the chat for coming in every week and watching us while we talk about movies and adding to the discussion and the discourse you can do the same on twitch or youtube live um before we get into the big recommend we like to start with some small we recommends aaron do you have any small recommends this week it's no big deal it's so small and light it's small it's tiny it's petite it's wee. sure uh let's start on the tv side of things this week uh the show how to with john wilson is back on max um, formerly known as HBO Max. Uh, this, I believe, is the final season of this show. John Wilson is somebody who lives in New York City, would take his camera around the city and just document for all of us what an alien world New York City actually is. Like hmm. how different, like how, just what the city breathes and how it, you know, uh, exists and he what he does is he takes all this footage that he shoots and creates these how-to segments now the how-to's very rarely relate completely to where it ends up going it's basically a starting point for a journey of thought you know and uh visual stimuli uh he has a very dry delivery a very dry sense of humor. He will often use video of things uh, to represent uh, other things. So like visual metaphors, that kind of thing, which I think is funny. But overall, it's just, there's nothing like this on TV. It is a one of a kind kind of show where a guy just puts you know, his camera out there and just finds weird things to talk about. Now I will say, be prepared. He's willing to go places you will be shocked that he goes. Uh, so uh, let's say bodily functions, uh, let's say uh, body modifications like will will appear or whatever. This isn't like the heart of the show. I'm just giving you a warning that he's not afraid to point his camera anywhere. In fact, the very first episode of this new season uh, is how to find a bathroom in New York City uh, is the how to. And there's lots of really gross bathrooms in New York City, and he's not afraid to show you uh, exactly how gross they are. Okay. Uh, so that kind of thing. Uh, anyways, yeah. it's it's interesting. It's fascinating. Uh, and there's it's unique. And uh, I really, really enjoy it. But I think this is the last season. There's a couple other seasons. The episodes are really short. The seasons are pretty short. 
real quick binge if you wanted to catch up on it or even just watch one and, and kind of see what it's about. So how to yeah, John Wilson. I'm going to not going to start with that New York bathroom one. Okay, that much. <laughs> um, but having been to New York twice, I've seen, I've seen some gross bathrooms. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. yeah, I get it. Um, all right. How to with John Wilson. Uh, where is that? That's on Max. Max, formerly HBO Max. That's what you said. Uh, Correct. I remember that. Okay, everybody. My, my America remains this week. My small ones are not movies. Um, and my first one's going to be a video game uh, for the Nintendo Switch that came out in July called Disney's Illusion Island. And I want to start out by telling you this game is for kids. Okay? I don't, I don't need anybody commenting. You know. Uh, Jeremy enjoys a game that my six-year-old enjoys. Uh, <laughs> but that is exactly what happened. Um, I saw a good review. Uh, it has really good reviews online at all the major game review places. And it's kind of a Mario, original Mario side-scrolling, jumping kind of game, but with Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Goofy. And it doesn't have cutscenes, so it has, when they when they have dialogue, it zooms in on them, and then there's little text bubbles that show up, and you can control how fast they go through that. And it's a very simple game. Uh, we're only maybe a third of the way through it. My wife and I played for couple hours uh, on Sunday and uh, we just had a blast it was it's very vivid colorful and just fun to play you gradually every 10 minutes you gain a new skill um, and uh, you start revisiting boards you've been on but now you have new ways to get around them and get to places you couldn't before so yeah it's a game for kids with Disney people in it and it's a kind of a side-scrolly jumpy Mario type game um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, so there you go. That's my recommend. Uh, first small recommend for the day. Buy that wherever you buy your video games. Blew my wife's mind opening that clamshell and showing her this tiny little SD card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in this. This is the kind of game I enjoy. Um, I, I like the pretty colors. I like the simple side scrolly kind of things. Um, I famously lost interest in the Zelda games when they became open world. Uh, oh, yeah. Like I don't want to have to cook stuff to <laughs> get to the dungeons. I don't. Un- I don't understand what we're doing anymore. Uh, so old man yells at cloud. I will play Illusion Island. Uh, my favorite game right now is Pikmin Four, which uh, just came out. I saw um, you said something about that on Twitter. I think or maybe yeah, it came out the same weekend as Barbie and Oppenheimer. So you know, um, I was trying to get it in on the Barbenheimer. Th- you know, the Bar Pickheimer, Pickheimer maybe mm. uh, Barbenheimerman. Uh, no, that probably doesn't. So work. what is that game? What I. I I, so, I googled it at the time, and it looked like uh, sensory overload. So I didn't. I moved on. So what's really interesting about Pikmin is the the game is based on a a day period on this planet that you go to, and these little creatures that you can pick out of the ground. Some are red, some are blue, some are yellow. The red ones don't get hurt by fire. The blue ones don't get hurt by water. The yellow ones don't get hurt by electricity. That kind of thing. And then you use these creatures to accomplish the tasks you need to get the parts for your ship or the fruit to make your fruit drinks or, you know, whatever. And so there's a real like itch it scratches in my brain of like organization and like putting, you know, getting tasks done in an efficient way and that kind of stuff. Do you so. play PC games at all? Uh, here and there. Sure. Yeah. I feel like civilization games would be right up your alley. Yeah. I mean, the problem with civilization games and those, can, if I understand them correctly is like, there's a real like waiting pro like you, there's a real time process to them. 
where things build up over time or whatever. And I'm just I'm looking to accomplish short term goals, not like a build a long term. Well, if kind you of break thing. down all of civilization as it exists into a lot of tiny short term goals, mm -hmm. uh, that that's a good way to view that game because you start out with like one city and one worker and one warrior, and you can have the worker do a variety of things. He could build a road, he could build a structure, he could. Mm -hmm. uh, and the warrior can fight or stand guard. And, you know, yeah, you can also determine how fast here I am trying to plug civilization. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. It's just become video game hour here. Yeah. Sorry uh, very, about very, very quickly. Uh, do you have a second small recommend this week? I do. Uh, I saw a movie from 1979 called Injustice for All. This is a Pacino film. He plays a lawyer. There have been many stories that have told the story of defense lawyers and the problem, the ethical issues that defense lawyers come into when it's like, I know I'm defending a guilty person, but my job is to be their defense. My job is to defend them, even if it seems like they're guilty. This is how the system works. This is my role in the system. This is the ultimate version of that movie. Um, and okay. Al Pacino is that lawyer who is struggling with what his job is. There is a corrupt judge that gets accused of a horrible crime. And that judge asks him to be his defense lawyer. He agrees and then immediately starts regretting it. And <laughs> it's, it's about his journey in defending this uh, corrupt judge played by John Forsyth. Uh, Christine Lottie is in there as well. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor steps in in a really interesting role. And it's, it's that old school kind of movie where you have all these different characters that are just operating around the central plot. It seems like anymore with movies, every single character gets their setup, payoff, resolution. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in the movie, you have to have a character arc that yeah. resolves for the audience. And it didn't used to be that way. Like your central protagonist would have that, yeah. but then you would just have other people who were just around them in their lives and you may not know how that resolved or what that thing. And this has a lot of that, which I kind of find refreshing to go back to old movies in that way. Sometimes it's just like, they feel more like authentically uh, placed in someone's life. Um, but Tambor and there's another judge played by Jack Warden um, have their own stories that don't necessarily resolve, but they're interesting and they have you thinking about things. Um, I love the way this movie ends. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, I know it's, you know, 30, 44 years old now, so it's not like uh, you haven't had the chance to see it. But a lot of people haven't seen it. Uh, I think it's one of Pacino's lesser seen movies. Um, so, yeah, it's a small recommend for me. Uh, check out And Justice For All. You will need to rent it. I don't think it's streaming anywhere for free um, unless I missed somewhere. So, right. you know, throw down like $2.99 uh, on You're Amazon on a and check it out. Pacino kick lately, are you? I've seen a few. Yeah, I've seen a few of his lately. Uh, also, yeah, uh, one of your favorite movies, uh, yeah. Devil's Advocate. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I thought I'd well. seen that one. I got a question <laughs> over here in the comments asking sure. if your movie here is the one where the judge pulls out and fires a gun instead of using his gavel. Yes, yes, is that is, that's the Jack <laughs> Warden character. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that character is really interesting because the movie indicates that that judge has is so fed up with his work and what he has to do that he's suicidal but it never really 
uh, it doesn't like like a modern movie i think would have him commit suicide would have like that in the movie and i'm not i guess maybe that spoiler that he doesn't but um but this movie just plays around him as if like no he's just in a terrible place and the movie uh you know um allows him to be in that terrible place so anyways yeah it's, mm. it's good stuff mm. all right been a long time since i've had a food or drink recommend uh, and I and my wife recently tried a brand new food from South America that we had never had before uh, called pupusas. Um, and these are from El Salvador and Honduras. Both countries claim to be the birthplace. Um, <laughs> That's always fun. There are, it's like the Philadelphia cheesesteak. There's like two places that claim to be right, the yeah, originator. Yeah. Um, it is a, I'm going to read from Wikipedia because I, I had no experience with this food before we just decided to go try it. It's a thick griddle cake or flatbread made with cornmeal or rice flour, similar to Colombian and Venezuelan arepas. Um, and then it's usually mm -hmm. stuffed with fish or meat or cheese or squash or beans. I had one with cheese, one with cheese and beans, one with cheese and beans and steak. Uh, there's, like, it's like, uh, the structure is like a quesadilla that instead of like one tortilla being folded over, it's two round things and you, you put something inside before you griddle them. This was effing delicious. Uh, we've already made an appointment, not an appointment, we put on a calendar. We're going to go back here uh, this week. It's so good it was unlike anything i've ever had i was expecting it to be very similar to pita bread um or a tortilla and it's not it's got its own real earthy awesome flavor uh and if you have a place near you that does uh authentic pupusas um i would highly suggest you give it a try because i was blown away so there you go very nice it sounds like a dirty word but i want it yeah well, there you go <laughs> it does sound like a, a dirty word um and yes according to my el salvadoran co-worker it's definitely el salvadoran um so yeah uh i think it's time for this week's big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed which is philomena brought to you by my co-host aaron dicer yeah um, why don't you kick us off uh it's been 10 years since i've seen this movie uh and wanted to revisit it uh i remember loving it and after watching it again uh confirm confirmed mm -hmm. i love this movie absolutely mm -hmm. And wholeheartedly, it is based on a true story. There is a woman named Philomena from uh, Ireland and a reporter named Martin Sixtreeth uh, from uh, the BBC, uh, formerly from the BBC. Mm -hmm. And they had this true story of a journey. And the journey basically follows Martin Sixsmith, who's played by Steve Coogan. Uh, he's down after being fired and having to listen to three minutes of news position, summing up how he screwed up. Uh, meanwhile, Philomena, Dame Judy Dench, uh, lights a candle at her local cathedral and falls into a bad case of flashbacks. Uh, what Actually, what I like about this movie is how quickly we get set up. One of the things I like about it is how quickly mm -hmm. it sets up our characters and what they're going uh, through. We see in a flashback that Philomena uh, has a night of sex with a boy she meets at a carnival. <laughs> a night of sex? I think it was probably just a few minutes, Aaron. Yes, it might have been. It might have been. We do know from the movie that she did take her knickers down. Uh, yes. They make that very, very clear. Um, uh, in conversation, uh, I should say. <laughs> Uh, we find out that uh, that basically the older 
Philomena is now sad because this would be the 50th birthday of the son that she had based on this one encounter. And because she uh, was a young girl pregnant in the 50s, um, she was sent to this place for unwed mothers, which was a convent uh, in Ireland. Um, and they were uh, terrible, terrible human beings uh, who basically manipulated and abused these young women to both have them work for them and sell their children into adoption for a thousand pounds a child uh, which was quite a bit uh, in that day so she hasn't really known her son since he was maybe two like one two years old somewhere in that range uh, and she saw him get taken away by a family uh, at that time. So we, we quickly see in this movie that Philomena's goal is to find her son and Martin's goal is to write an expose. That's mm -hmm. basically, they are at crossed purposes, right? She, she wants, to, she's not out to get anybody. She just wants to find her son and know that he's okay. Martin is of course seeing the injustice all in all of this. And in the piece that he's going to write about this, I, I'm not sure I mentioned he's a, a, going to be a journalist in this regard, uh, wants this piece to be juicy and, uh, and really take down uh, the church and the convent for all that they've done. They go to the convent. Uh, the records have been quote unquote lost. Uh, they were lost in a fire, which we find out later was a bonfire that they threw the records in. There's a, there's a really great moment where the Martin character goes, how strange that it is in, in God's wisdom that the fire only took all the records out, but left the one record that proves that you, uh, are not allowed to see, uh, you know, your son or whatever. So, so anyhow, they're no help, but they find out um, that the son uh, went to America with this couple. So Martin then gets his editor to pay for a trip to America. They go to America and they find out that Michael Hess is the name of her son uh, then, but he died eight years ago. He died in 1995 at a young age, uh, age from AIDS. Mm. Uh, he, they find out he was a gay man. There's a, there's a very interesting way that this movie handles Philomena's uh, understanding of homosexuality, mm -hmm. which I found refreshing and interesting. We, we are led to believe, especially right when she finds out that information, that she's almost in denial about it. But we very quickly find out that she's not in denial. She's just, you know, doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. It does to not her. phase her at all. <laughs> it doesn't phase her at all. Um, so they find out that he was high in the Republican party, that he worked counsel for both the Bush and Reagan eras, but because, uh, the Republican, uh, family values famously against homosexuality and those things that he was closeted for the most part, uh, they find the sister, she's not really a ton of help, but does give some more insight into their background and their growing up and their parents. They eventually find his uh, his lover, his former lover and partner, and uh, have a, a good conversation with him that teach that reveals the final piece of information, which is that he was very interested in finding her. He too went uh, took a trip to Ireland to go to this place he was raised, and they told him that she didn't want anything to do with him and that they didn't have any uh, uh, way to contact her 
after she had, you know, um, gone there and they hadn't said anything to her about that. So it's clear they're trying to hide something. Um, and uh, she finds out that he actually wanted to be buried uh, in Ireland is how much he wanted to know uh, where he came from. That, of course, moves her. And in the final moments, we get the confrontation at this convent. Uh, Martin really starts laying into Sister Hildegard, who is kind of our primary, I mean, villain's a weird word in a movie like this, but definitely the antagonist uh, of the movie. Mm. And, and rightfully, righteously, justicely telling her things that are true when Philomena uh, has this moment where she says, but that's not what it's about for me. This is my story, mm. not your story. And they have a really interesting conversation about forgiveness and anger. And um, she says something along the lines when he says, I'm angry. She says, well, that must be exhausting. <laughs> and it's, it's kind, of the, kind of the heart of, uh, of this movie. Um, and we realize uh, by the end on this journey, yes, we're very, our hearts are broken for Philomena and, you know, knowing that she never got to meet this son and that there were people keeping her from meeting the son, but that life uh, continues to have moved on and is, uh, there's this new relationship with her and Martin as she tells him about a book that she's read. Um, so yeah, the question, the, the movie kind of leaves you with one of those, uh, interesting little conundrums. Like, who do you identify with more here? Do you identify with Martin's? you know, point of view on this and his instincts on this? Do you agree with Philomena's instincts on this? And I think there's some beautiful things to think about in the areas of justice and forgiveness and all those kind of things. Can I answer both? You can absolutely. I was just going to go to you, Jeremy. Jeremy, what did you think of Philomena? I really enjoyed this film. This is the first time I have seen it. And I, I shouldn't, I should no longer be able to be surprised by how good Judy Dench is, but <sighs> she's I so am. good. Um, Oscar nominated for this role. She's deserved it. She's phenomenal in so many subtle little moments. Really, really, really loved the film uh, and especially uh, her performance. Uh, I wrote down a lot of quotes that I'll share later. Uh, but one, one drawback I found was that I wish that we had gotten a little bit more of her daughter's uh, experience mm -hmm. uh, through this. And I do appreciate that the daughter goes from not knowing she had a brother to being a hundred percent supportive to the point of even backing off when Philomena doesn't want her around. Uh, but I feel like that would have to be a very unique, uh, emotional experience and perhaps they shot it and cut it, but obviously even as she says at the end, this is Philomena's story. Uh, <clears throat> And it's kind of Martin's story, but it's Philomena's story. It's not her daughter's story. It's not the nun's story. Um, and yeah, somebody has to take Martin's role and take these people to task for what they've done. Mm -hmm. I think Philomena is able to, she literally says, I forgive you, Sister mm -hmm. Hildegard. Um, I think she's able to do that because she's been carrying this pain for 50 years and mm -hmm. she wants to let go. And the most powerful message the movie has, in my opinion, is about anger. And it took me 30 some years of my own life to learn how much control I have over extended anger. Uh, there's always going to be stuff that happens in life that's going to flash my ire. Mm -hmm. But how I respond to that, how long I choose to carry that, people carry anger for decades. and 
is exhausting, but it's also killing them. Like mm. we don't give enough respect to what our brain can do to our bodies. Um, and carrying this, this weight for 50 years, that makes perfect sense that she doesn't, she doesn't have any room for anger anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, Martin's anger is probably a little bit displaced. Um, he's got other things in his life to be angry about probably his himself, mm -hmm. uh, for getting himself into the hot water that kicks it all off. Yeah. The first scene where she's telling him about a book, um, and mm -hmm. he's just steadily getting wide eyed and like, <laughs> what am I living through right now is but we delightful. all know we all know that person though right like yes. that older person who just wants to tell us about this thing and doesn't realize we don't care yes. because they just want to have that moment with like it's it's uh it's it's beautiful um i i i think steve coogan is pretty incredible in this too i think he sells the authenticity of their relationship and uh and what's what great doing. is that he's i know him as a comedian um mm -hmm. and he's incredibly funny but here he, the, the humor is very subtle uh and he he feels like an actual human being of course they're mm -hmm. both playing people who were actual human beings the fact that this is a true story i think makes it a lot harder to watch and i read that after the movie came out that they found out this was pretty widespread in Ireland. Yeah, happened a and there lot. Were all these people that came out and said, "This happened to me too. This happened to me too." Um, the movie at the end says thousands. I think thousands yeah. still are looking for their parents That's and children. Just wild that humans are capable of that kind of behavior. Well, understand where it comes from is a misplaced dogmatism, right? Yes. Where it comes yes. from is because we even hear it from Hildegard up to the very end. There is yes. no change from Hildegard. No. Hildegard up she to the very end. She deserved it all because of her sin. It was she all a sinned, consequence of her she sin. She deserves it all. That's yep. the dogmatism. That's where it comes from. So the, it's, Hildegard doesn't see it as being awful to somebody or hurting someone she sees it as standing up for justice standing up for righteousness um that's the ugly part for me is just how misplaced we can be as as humans about our own and and there's there's an interesting mirror there for martin who has his own kind of dogmatism in his anger in him wanting these people to suffer wanting them you know to hurt and Phil philomena walks in with forgiveness and you know there's there's just there's this interesting thing as human beings of how, you know what do we choose do we choose uh our do we choose how we see the world to put it on other people and make them see it the way we see it or do we choose to live our lives believing what we believe and to love people uh, around us no matter what. One of the believe. dialogue lines I wrote down speaks to that, where he says to her, or she says to him, do you believe in God? And he mm. says, I've always thought that was sort of a difficult thing to answer <laughs> in any kind of a simple way. Do you? And she goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a perfect encapsulation of their their, their person. So good. They are. Um, <clears throat> I also wrote down early on, Martin goes to his doctor. Doctor says, try running. He says, I'm thinking about writing a book. He says, about what? He says, Russian history. Doctor <laughs> goes, try running. Um, <laughs> and even Martin seems to 
feel throughout the movie that the Russian history book is just a dead end that no one's going to even says at one point, no one wants to read about Russian history. You can, um, you can tell Steve Coogan wrote on this script because there's some really funny stuff here. Yeah. Um, even right from the beginning, uh, the doctor says stool sample outstanding. And he says, excellent. And he goes, no, I, I mean, you haven't provided one. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good joke. That's just a great joke. Uh, and there's, there's a lot throughout. So, she yeah. says, uh, and after the sex was over, I thought anything that feels so lovely must be wrong. And he goes, fucking Catholics. Uh, <laughs> and then there's this line where he's calling his, uh, magazine editor and he's telling her you know can't keep doing this and he says she's in bits it's like she's lost him all over mm, again and she mm -hmm. says instantly that's great write that down yeah uh, because she doesn't care this woman is not a human being but that's her. a mirror to the things he said at the beginning right like yes. he was the one saying like he would correct him himself he'd be like that's good i i mean for the story like he was doing that exact thing early on yep. and so that's the holding the mirror up you know to him kind of kind of thing when i was she does a little it. frustrated the movie lets him off the hook when she says you know don't fly her home you keep her there somehow and he is like oh i'm gonna have to keep her here somehow and she just instantly says i think i want to stay for a couple of days mm -hmm. and yeah I think that's intentional. I think I would have preferred to see him have to struggle with that a little bit more instead of being bailed out by Philomena. But uh, again, it's Philomena's story. Uh, it's her journey. It's not his, uh, mm -hmm. even though it is his. his. That's what I love. Philomena is on one end. Uh, that nasty nun is on the other end. and Or the magazine lady could be on the other end. And Martin goes from one end to the other uh, for, through the course of the movie. Um, He's the most changed by the events of the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's uh, the one of the most again. There, there are all these examples that just sum up their relationship. <clears throat> the first time they meet and they're around the table, he makes a joke about the Wizard of Oz, and then her daughter says, "Oh no, he was he was joking, mom." Then he says something serious about his his mom having osteoarthritis uh, in both knees, and she and just she laughs. laughs and laughs because she thinks she's doing a kindness. She yep. thinks she's laughing at a joke she didn't get. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's so good. Also, her salad was more crouton than salad. Uh, I oh, thought that man. was a nice little. That is the I, that is the only way to salad. Uh, I am a crouton fiend. My wife mm -hmm. hates them, so I always get double croutons if we both get salad. Yeah, yeah. There is also this moment uh, where he the 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 scene directly goes from him saying human interest stories are for weak-minded, ignorant people. Cut to him on the bed, turning to his wife, going, "Should I? Do you think I should do a human interest story?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was so fun. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And then sad. <laughs> yes, that definitely as well. All right. Uh, any other uh, elements of the film you want to touch on before we dive into the? Should we talk about Big Mama's house? Uh, and how, what if, how, how funny a movie that, that. sounds! <laughs> the way she described it uh, made me want to watch it, and I've seen it. Um, uh -huh. Built that movie, and uh, it's it's awful. But she says they made like a sequel to that. I'm pretty sure. I think they did. Yeah, she says it's about a small black man pretending to be a big black woman, and they're all chasing him. It looks hilarious, Martin. <laughs> Yeah, she's just a a lovely person personality to spend time with. Even mm -hmm. in the midst of all that historic pain, she's still 
finds time to be delightful. The one thing I will mention, uh, aside from just the, the parts of the movie I love, and I briefly touched on this, the information, the plot movement, the story movement of this movie isn't used as a weapon against the audience. It's used as a foundation for us to stand on. And in the era of twist endings and story twists, many movies take their information and hide it from the audience until they can bludgeon them with it, till they can, you know, make it this big thing or whatever. And this movie just naturally reveals the story as it happens. There's, it doesn't, you know, the, the information about him uh, actually going home or whatever might be the biggest thing you could call like a story twist or whatever, but it happens at exactly the right time in the movie. It just mm. feels like that's when we need to know that. That's when we need to feel that. Um, I was just, I'm really impressed with this movie's ability to reveal its information to the audience. Um, does it really well. Mm -hmm. um, all right, let's dive into the super secret double feature because yeah, I had a devil of a time here. Be very, very quiet. Secret, what secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. I, I very strongly wanted to make a Catholic church condemnation connection sure so uh, my first thought was spotlight uh there's also a movie uh with uh melissa leo about a young nun called novitiate um that even deals with how a young nun deals with sexual feelings but again this movie is not this first priority is not to bash the catholic church its first priority is philomena so i ended up going with lion a 2006 film Great uh, choice. starring Dev Patel. Uh, it's sort of the reverse of this movie. Uh, he plays a young boy in India who is separated from his brother in the 80s, gets lost, ends up on a train, ends up in a, a region of India where they speak a dialect he doesn't know. Um, but he's still pretty clever, still pretty street smart, uh, ends up adopted by an Australian couple and years later sets out on a journey to try and find his mother, his brother, and his sister. And that journey doesn't completely go the way you might hope it would. Um, and I just felt like that would be a really lyrical, you know, mirror image kind of story um, to bookend with Philomena. Uh, I've only seen Lion the one time. I don't remember it super well, but I remember really liking it. And it's got really good reviews. Do you have a more recent sense of that film than I do? I loved Lion. Um, Lion was one of those the year it came out that uh, anytime I was with family or friends and they're like, hey, is there a movie we should watch? I was like, Lion, let's no, put it yeah. on. It's just, it's so well done and it's so powerful and meaningful. And I think that's a, a great double feature. Uh, I did sit for about an hour on Girl with the Dragon Tattoo just because it has a disgraced journalist who mm -hmm. goes about investigating uh, a new mystery, uh, but that's mm -hmm. the only connection, and that would be a jarring double feature. Um, it would be. It would be. <laughs> All right, so next week, I am not going to let anyone's emotions off the hook. Um, <laughs> we need to start doing comedies at some point. <laughs> we do. I, I tried to do, what did I do? I did a light one a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Adventureland, but uh, it seemed like, like, you know, kind of hit and miss with the listeners mm -hmm. and the viewers. Uh, but yes, I have State and Maine all loaded up for one of these weeks. Oh, nice! That's a laugh riot. Uh, but this week we're gonna we're gonna watch Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Um, this film wrecked me uh, the first time I saw it. 
It's for free on Pluto and Peacock. You can rent it on other places. Uh, uh, topical trigger warnings. This movie is overtly about uh, a teenager traveling from one state to another to have an abortion. Um, and while I think the movie has plenty to say about that topic, uh, it's interested in a lot more than just that, particularly this relationship between these two cousins that is a stronger bond than most people have with their siblings. Uh, great performances by relatively unknown cast, and I haven't seen it in a couple of years. My wife really wants to watch it, so we're going to watch it together as I prep for next week's episode. So again, never, rarely, sometimes, always. You can watch it for free on Pluto or Peacock. Uh, it may still be on HBO, according to the chat. Um, and yes, have some Kleenex nearby. Um, and then I promise my next couple of picks will be lighthearted. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, do some questions. Sure, let's do it. Question, question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Uh, Aaron, what movie have you changed your mind about most over time? <sighs> this is a really interesting question. Um... I think this question is easier for someone who is more of a repeat watcher, like you are, Jeremy. You love to watch things over and over and over I again. Mm -hmm. uh, I love to rewatch the things I love occasionally or show them to other people. Basically, I rewatch when I can show it to, like, I can watch it with somebody else. That makes sense. But I'm not, but I am more of a, ooh, show me something new. I want to see a new story. Like, so I don't necessarily go back a lot. However, um, I remember coming out of Get Out. Uh, the Jordan Peele movie and being like, oh, that was okay. That was good. Um, that was kind of funny. And, you know, I get what kind of what it's doing. And then the more I thought about it and then I watched it again and again, it's a transcendent film. Like there's, there's, and I kind you know, I kind of liked it the first time I saw it, but just to, I didn't think it was going to make like, you know, my top 20 of the year, that kind of thing. And, uh, and now it's in my top, you know, hundred movies of all time. Um, it's, it's really, really good. So I don't have any proof of this, but I have this theory that Jordan Peele lived with that story for years. Mm -hmm. Sure. And by the time he was ready to make it, he knew it inside and out. That is one of the most intentional movies I've mm -hmm. ever seen. And it's so sure-handed for a first-time director. I just feel like he has to have been intimately familiar with every beat of that story. Mm -hmm. um, and then and the, yeah. uh, the other direction uh, would probably be Phantom Menace. Uh, I remember walking out <laughs> of Phantom Menace just buzzing. Just like that was so amazing. Um, and I think actually Phantom Menace fits this question better than any other movie for me because I went from loving it to hating it, you know, uh, realizing how little is going on in so much of that movie, how pointless so much of that stuff is. And then I've kind of come around back to kind of mid slash liked it. Mm. Um, I, I cannot get over how amazing duel of the fates is, uh, in that movie. And, and there is a, one of the reasons it's so good is the Qui-Gon Obi-Wan thing, which the movie sets up pretty well so yep. like i've come back to liking it after loving it and hating it so like well, i've just like been all over the map with with phantom menace what lucas is good at especially with the prequels is finishing on such a high note you tend to forgive the 
bits that weren't great leading up to it. Like mm -hmm. you said, with Duel of the Fates, that is such an iconic lightsaber duel. It goes on for so long. It has great locations. Um, it's the best just, music in the series. Exactly. Yeah. It's just yeah. absolutely firing all in all cylinders Star Wars. And he does the same thing similarly. The CG is not up quite there, but at the end of Attack of the Clones, you get, a, you know, Dozens of Jedi fighting at once, which we've never seen. Then you mm -hmm. get Yoda flip fighting, which we've never seen. And you kind of walk out forgetting mm -hmm. all the video game crap where Padme and Anakin were like almost turned into molten robot metal. I don't know what's going on in all that, <laughs> except that I think he was hoping to sell a video game. Um, <clears throat> but th that's a good answer. Um, I think I was probably initially disappointed and have slowly become more disappointed. <laughs> Fair. Um, Fair. But I love this question. So uh, from good to bad, my answer is Pulp Fiction. Um, Pulp Fiction came out right in my first couple years of exploring film and watching movies constantly. And it's such a sensory overload. And it, up until then, there had never been anything like that now we've got dozens of copycats but that was such a unique voice um such a stylized way to tell a story um hilarious dialogue i'll tell you what i i don't care for this movie anymore i straight up don't enjoy it the last time i watched it i was like this is oh, it's just <laughs> yeah there's not there's no soul in this movie it's just Ugh, I don't know. I don't want to incite a riot, but I, I don't enjoy Pulp Fiction anymore when I watch it. That does not mean I, there's no technique or quality writing or good performances in there, but I just, it doesn't do it for me anymore. Maybe, maybe the adrenaline shot scene, maybe, but that's it. Yeah. Like there's, it's clear. It's a few things are clear right off the bat with Tarantino. Uh, one thing that's clear is he understands how the aesthetics of a movie can impact, uh, your enjoyment of it. He understands how to use music better than almost any director I know of. Like his, his needle drops are legendary. Yes. Um, and the same with some of the camera stuff he does and some of the cutting he does, he understands editing and how to use that, uh, to move. Where I've always missed Tarantino, and this includes Pulp Fiction, and the reason I've never really, I've, I've kind of just been meh with Pulp Fiction to like meh minus. Um, but uh, but the thing he doesn't seem to understand is what you talk about of heart. Uh, like, you know, the, his movies for me don't speak to anything that I want to continue thinking about or processing after I leave the film. Um, up until recently, uh, that that has been the case with him, and I just wonder as he uh, ages, if he's aging into some thematic. Well, this is work. not my answer, but for a movie that I didn't like, that I now appreciate, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is on mm -hmm. that list, and I yeah. think that was just a case of so much hype and so much buzz by the time I got to it, which is after award season. Mm -hmm. um, that I was like, I don't see what the hype is about. And then six months later, I watched it again, and I was like, oh, I'm appreciating this. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, that's you know, probably he's just grown as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. But my actual yeah. answer for a movie that I didn't like that I now enjoy uh, is Ad Astra, which is a movie that you enjoyed right off the bat. Mm -hmm. I love uh, And Astra. saw more in the first viewing than I did. Um, and I just had to get over the tonal shift of... Sure. 
uh, I mean, there's a couple places specifically the vampire space monkeys <laughs> just tonally first time through, I couldn't appreciate what that was doing in the story. It just mm -hmm. pulled me out of where I was. Um, but uh, I've seen that now, I think three or four times, probably four times. Uh, and I have come to quite appreciate that movie. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Good. All right, next question. All right, what nice. movie, what is the movie you had the greatest anticipation to see that completely, completely lived completely. up to your expectations? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the right answer for me for this is Titanic. Um, mm. and it's interesting to say because most people going into Titanic thought it was going to be a flop, but I was so pumped for that movie. This was a time when I was still watching trailers. The trailer blew me away. I couldn't wait to see what Cameron was going to do with it. Um, and then it met all those expectations. Um, I remember walking out of Titanic the first time just being like, well, he did it. Everybody can stop making movies now. Uh, we, we know the, <laughs> you know, it works. that is another, that is okay. James Cameron is a master at doing this where he, uh -huh. he gives you such impressive visuals that you just put blinders on to the cookie cutter dialogue and characterization. Sure. You go back through Titanic today and you can still be wowed by mm -hmm. the spectacle parts it still holds up but the dialogue and pretty much everything i just lost his name uh billy zane is doing in that movie is oh, yes. not working yes. for me at all um but yeah that's a good one not that movie didn't that movie get pushed like wasn't it supposed to release i feel like the theater i worked at had a standee for titanic in the summer but then the movie came out in the winter uh and that may have just I been an early standee. I mean, um, I know I know it came out in December and then basically owned everything through the beginning of the summer. Like it was it was crazy uh how how much okay, it owned the box. So box yeah, office. it was supposed to be out in July, uh July second. But then in April, Cameron said, nah, not gonna make it. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's of, a Cameron staple right there, which yeah. I honestly respect. Like if it ain't ready, don't put it out yet. Like, I think more movies could benefit from that. Um, I mean, video games is probably the one area oh, they do this the yeah, most because yeah. most almost every major video game that launches these days has all kinds of bugs and issues. Uh, yeah. The lots other of great answers. The Go other ahead. one I the other one I would uh, wanted to throw out was Paddington Two. Uh, blew me away. Uh, uh, huge yeah. expectations for that. Paddington Three is screwed because of yeah. how good Two was. Yeah. That guy went on to make what did he make? He's making the the Chalamet, uh, Willy Wonka movie, the guy that directed Paddington 2. Um, so it gives me hope. I don't really care about Willy Wonka anymore, but that guy did such magic with Paddington 2. Okay, good answers uh, in the comments to this question about movies that completely lived up to expectations. I see Oppenheimer, Return of the King, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Independence Day, Fast and Furious, the first one. Actually, the first one is still pretty watchable, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Spider-Verse 2, Spider-Verse, Fellowship of the Ring, Avengers, Dark Knight, Dune. I haven't even answered this question yet. Why am you I have not given the, your uh, answer yet. Chat answers. Um, Dark Knight is one of my answers. Um, I love Batman Begins more than you could possibly know. Um, <laughs> and I had such a high bar for Dark Knight. And he cleared it, man. He broke the pole vault record with that movie for me. Um, and then another one that was very similar is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Um, I had seen Ghost Protocol in an IMAX theater 
because there were a couple scenes in there filmed with IMAX. Uh, Rogue Nation ramped that up. Um, and that Opera House scene is still, I think, the best Mission Impossible action sequence. Granted, I haven't seen the most recent one. Um, but yeah, that pretty much all the Mission Impossibles, four, five, and six, have just hit it out of the park for me. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, got more Dark Knight, everything everywhere. Uh, Star Trek 2009. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. All right, let's move on to another question. We got time for at least one more. What is a TV series you have kept watching over many seasons, even though it has clearly jumped the shark? Uh, my answer is all of them. Um, <laughs> uh, you're a completionist then. I am. I am. Uh, I can only think of one TV series that I gave up on uh, midway through. Now, I I give myself the grace to give up in the first three episodes. If, okay. if if I don't like what's going on in the first three episodes, I'll go away. But after that, I stick around to the end. The only uh, one I didn't was uh, Walking Dead, and I just didn't like the way it was making me feel. Like yeah. I just didn't, I just didn't like what it was doing to my psyche every time I watched that show. So well, I stopped it, watching. I feel like The Walking Dead had a lot more interesting things to say about humanity in the first couple seasons, and then it just yeah. kind of became uh, about cartoonish caricature type people, and uh, yeah gruesome kills um, but but the specific ones i will mention prison break was great for one season uh and then not great and i watched it all the way through how many seasons um, did that show run was it three or four something like um, that it that's was, the one where he tattooed the yeah ape thing on his body yeah, a very whatever. specific concept that was resolved in the first season in the first season <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, that's that show would have been great in our current era of television, right? Like a little ten oh, yeah. episode, you, you know, start thing out to on make streaming. it a limited series, right? Throw like hijack, like hijack is one again. of those shows that just is a nice. Of course, they'll make hijack season two now. Watch, um, but uh, and then the other ones, the X Files. The X Files jumped the shark after Scully left, and I watched all the way through Reyes and all that stuff. So, um, so Who yeah. Left? Scully? Scully left? Both Mulder and Scully left eventually. Um, I'm, I had stopped watching by then. Um, yeah. so. What's weird is my answer to this question is um, none of them. Like, uh, <laughs> right, the not, opposite? I am much more willing to just stop. The best example is Yellow Jackets. That first season was just riveting to me. And season two started strong. And around the fourth or fifth episode, I was like, I am not enjoying this at all. And I I'm not even trying to say the quality went down, although the reviews sort of bear that out. But I just stopped. It's like, I'm not even going to finish this season. I don't care who's going to eat who. Um, <laughs> I watched Friends pretty much all the way to the end. Uh, but it jumped the shark once they tried to have Rachel and Joey have a relationship, uh, maybe even prior to that. Um, they, they flirt with it in like season eight or nine, and then they actually try to have a relationship in season 10 and it's just awkward and no good. And all friends fans know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but I sure watched the whole thing, uh, even after it was no longer funny. Um, we've got Farscape in the comments, Supernatural, Mm. The Rookie. These are all shows I have not seen. Um, Killing Shaggy. Shaggy, you gave up on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? That show's amazing. Oh, no. oh, that no. show never jumped the shark. I don't understand. Oh. <laughs> you can't you can't say you bailed before it jumped the shark when it never jumped the shark. <clears throat> I think he's just saying he bailed early on that one. Okay. Um, right. But that's uh 
you know, life happens. Uh, <clears throat> all right, one more question, then we'll let everybody go to lunch. Um, uh, th- this is a question Taylor made for Aaron Dicer. What is the best <laughs> film to take place in Michigan? <clears throat> Very specific uh, question. Maybe they wrote it with you in mind. It could be. They mentioned 8 Mile as the only one that they could really think of. Um, the truth of the matter is most of the answers are going to be Detroit. That's just where a lot of these take place. Uh, I thought of For the Love of the Game. Um, takes place at Tiger Stadium, uh, and I really do enjoy that movie. Uh, I think the answer is um, Out of Sight. I think that's the the best film to take place in Detroit is yeah. Out of Sight. Yeah. A phenomenal movie. I also enjoy Gran Torino, um, the Clint Eastwood film. RoboCop certainly is very Detroit. Um, one I wanted to mention... Put on your radar, maybe on your watch list if you ever uh, want to watch something really funny. Jeff Daniels did a movie called Escanaba in the Moonlight. Uh, and okay. this, this is a movie that takes place in the UP, uh, and it's very Uper culture, uh, which mm. if you're a Michigander, you understand the difference between the mitten in the up uh and daniels is a is a michigan guy and actually never left michigan he lives in a small town in michigan uh called chelsea used to uh drive through chelsea all the time and he still lives there he refused to actually move to la um because he loves michigan so much so yeah he made a movie jeff daniels made a movie called escanaba into moonlight that's uh that's really fun um if you want to check something that's very michigan it's weird. I, I thought know. for sure you were going to say gross point blank. Um, no, I mean, I, I, that is a Michigan movie, um, but I I haven't watched it recently enough to love it. I remember thinking it was interesting, but my movie eyes were different when I watched that movie. For sure. So yeah, many years for ago. Sure. So. I think it's actually waned a little bit for me. I really liked it, uh, and I think I now just kind of like it or mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. Uh, I had to Google to be honest, outside of 8 Mile and RoboCop, uh, but apparently It Follows takes place in Michigan. Uh, I I don't... I think It Follows is... It doesn't take place anywhere or at any time. It, it, but it that was is, shot in Michigan then? Is that the deal? I think it may have been shot in Michigan, but like that movie is very metaphorical. Like It feels like it's in the 80s, but they have like a cell phone type device in it that isn't really a like it's that movie is out of like the real world in my opinion but but yeah well maybe. yeah but man it's one of the best vibe movies i've seen in oh ages. it follows is great it follows is great i just i mean i wanted to follow wherever it was going <laughs> and also apparently evil dead uh, is maybe set mm, in michigan interesting. i didn't know um, that and i've only seen the original evil dead once um but i know it's considered a classic so that was my answer um, I want to thank everybody in the chat for coming out for the live broadcast and weighing in on the questions as well as the Philomena discussion. You guys are appreciated. Um, your homework for next week, never, rarely, sometimes, always, which you can watch on Pluto TV or Peacock for free and bring your hanky. That's going to do it for episode 78. Um, for Aaron Dicer, I'm Jeremy Scott. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com
Philomena. Philomena. <laughs> I have so many things I want to talk to you about in the outtake pre-show, and uh, there's only so many. Uh, I caught Babylon again. Um, yeah? How you feeling? I- I'm going to tell you how I feel. I think you're going to disagree. Okay. But I think I really, really like it. Okay. But hate how it's shot. Mm. Interesting. The whipping the camera around in a frenzy. Mm-hmm. Most notably in that scene where they're trying to get that take with Margot Robbie and it's the first mm-hmm. talkie they've done. Yeah. But they do it at, at every party that the movie has. They do it during every mm-hmm. I mean, there's like probably if I'm if I didn't exaggerate, at least six or seven scenes in the movie that are shot that way where the camera's constantly turning, wiping like they do in La La Land and that one Right in the jazz scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is intentional uh-huh but i guarantee it is <laughs> i don't like it um yeah i don't blame you for that much i think it's way overdone i think i love the script i think i love the performances i think i love the colors mm-hmm. um and how wild it is at times mm-hmm. but watching it makes me anxious mm-hmm. often in times where i don't think it's intended uh, I think that multiple take first talkie scene where the camera guy, um, <laughs> where the AD is yelling, I'm going to shit in your mouth. Uh-huh. Uh, that scene is supposed to make you feel anxious. Because right. They are all slowly getting more and more anxious. Right. Uh, and then you get that euphoria when they nail the take. And I think that's part of the, the cause there. But like the opening party scene has all this whippy camera mm-hmm. stuff. And I know it's trying to throw me in the middle of this whirlwind that is Hollywood yes. slash Babylon. And um, <clears throat> I just don't like the camera work. He does it in the pool scene in La La Land when the camera comes up out of the water and starts spinning around. You're right. Yeah. Like he, he loves the idea of the camera moving quickly in an environment that's supposed to be energetic. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just feel like, okay, so the bear season one did that all one take episode mm-hmm. that built tension and made me anxious as much as any sure. Damien Chazelle scene, sure. but the camera didn't whip back and forth. It right. just moved with the people. Well, I, I will say point. this. You've definitely picked up on something that I, I really agree with, which is that Chazelle as a director is over conscious of the camera's movement. He loves using the way the camera moves. I get that. I think it's a valid way to impact emotion. And I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call it a crutch, but he is, he is very camera movement aware. You know, some directors are a very color aware, you know, like color is their, their big thing. And for him, I, I really do think a lot of it has to do with how the camera moves. I think it's really, it's got a lot of really fascinating things to say. I just wish it Good. was a little less camera with <laughs> you. You wish whippy. literally you experienced less whiplash. Well, the Orioles suspended their announcer. Have you seen this story? Yeah, I saw you comment on it, and I had actually seen some other uh, baseball person that I follow had mentioned something about it. It's the dumbest thing ever. Well, I, I genuinely need you to tell me what he got fired for, because I watched the clip, and I couldn't yeah. understand. It certainly the- wasn't a cancel culture kind of thing. Like, it wasn't like oh, no. he oh, said no. something inappropriate he- or or whatever. Okay, so I'm gonna, I can't wait to explain this to you, because our owner is a giant piss baby. And, <laughs> um, You're fired, Jeremy. You can't say that. You're fired. Beginning, he said at the beginning of the season he was going to open the books to the public. 
Okay. Uh, and he didn't. Uh, okay. He still hasn't signed a renewed lease. I think they are days away from that coming up. Um, and uh, so, yeah, what uh, Kevin Brown said, Kevin Brown is not only beloved by the Orioles fans, but he's one of the best announcers in the game. And he's really young. He could have mm -hmm. like a Vin Scully type career. He's really good. That's uh, so fun. And he, We've been missing him for 10, 12 games. The Orioles subreddit has been speculating, is he on vacation? What's going on? He calls almost every game. And so what he said uh, two weeks ago at a pregame before we played Tampa Bay was the Orioles have beaten Tampa Bay more times this season than in the previous three seasons combined. Okay. That's what set the owner off. That's the factual it. information about who yes. won and lost the game? He does not want him pointing out that they sucked three years ago. There are specific former Orioles players that announcers are not allowed to say their name. Well, this because this guy the, sounds like a terrible human. <laughs> Peter Angelos was a, a, was a bad owner who made bad decisions and didn't spend money, but he was a generous man and he gave back to the city of Baltimore okay. and he was a good human. His, his son, John, runs the team now and he has none of that good stuff, but all of the bad, like, mm. ownership stuff. Okay, all right. So this is signaling to me, we've got all these great young players. That's why we're awesome this year and we're gonna have to pay them. We're gonna have to give them contracts and I don't know if he's gonna do it. But anyway, yes, he apparently, Suspended indefinitely, the announcer, for stating factual evidence, which actually makes the team look good. Yeah, and that's even the, the weirdest owner part. look good because the owner hired the GM that got us these draft picks that made us good. It was well, basically a compliment. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that's also not his job to produce those segments either. Like right now, that's know, the other thing. I don't know exactly how it works, screen. but usually, especially the the higher up you get, the more you just become a, a teleprompter reader. You know, like every like other people are writing and producing your graphics, your segments. I don't know how it is necessarily at the local level. Like maybe he did produce that segment, but um... I'm almost certain he didn't because before he even started talking about it, a graphic came up on screen with all these stats. And so the right. director, the producer of the show, they're as much to blame, but nobody's to blame. It's, it's nobody's stat. to blame. But if you're going to take somebody to task for that, you take the director to task for that or the producer to task for that. I still can't believe the streamers haven't figured out sports on streaming. Like, the idea that they're still tied into the cable packages like ESPN or, or whatever, like it's so wild to me that if you if you subscribe to the ESPN streaming service, you don't get any of the sports that are on ESPN. You get all like the secondary and tertiary like sports. Oh, that's wild. I like, didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's not the stuff that's on ESPN because that stuff is, you know, belongs to the cable packages and they can't really. Well, I think the big problem is that streaming is not, appointment viewing it's when i'm ready viewing it's right. not like sports is okay i know monday night football is going to start at 6 30 every single monday and streaming is not a service that your brain is trained to use in that manner correct but they are trying to push it that way like there's more and more live content on streaming services uh, yes. eurovision for example was live on peacock um you know, they're just they're, they're A lot of the soccer matches are live on uh, Peacock. A lot of the Euro leagues uh, yep. have live stuff. And I just, I, I'm just surprised that, for whatever reason, that hasn't made the transition to streaming. You know, the streaming services are figuring it out, but it's just, it's, it's just interesting to me because sports is the one thing 
that I can't really depend on my streaming service. I subscribe to pretty much every streaming service. Right, same here. Um, maybe not Stars. That may be the only one I don't don't subscribe to. <laughs> Um, and I, and I just, I can't watch the sports I want to watch. Yep. And that seems weird to me. That just seems weird. somebody owns it that also owns a streaming. Like, so are you cut the cord? You don't have cable anymore? No, I don't have cable. I don't even have YouTube TV anymore. Um, wow. so yeah, I, I have just uh, a handful of 10 to $15 a month, uh, streaming services that I subscribe I'll never to. forget when we were recording, uh, Syncast and I was complaining about how many different streaming services there were and how I didn't want to pay for them. And Chris was <laughs> deadpanned. Okay. So I pay 10 bucks a month for eight of them. Uh -huh. And that's still half of what Comcast charges me for my cable pack. True. And it's I, true. that literally that week I went and subscribed to all of the major <laughs> streaming platforms. 